want to take a moment and pray. Curtis is still out of town this week, so we're jumping into a different passage and begin our, or jump back into our series of Matthew next week. Uh, but we want to take a moment and pray. Uh, a relative of Curtis passed away in Texas, so he went with family members to a funeral. And I uh, just want to pray for safe travels back home after that, comfort for their family in that. So let's take a moment this, uh, now and, and pray, and then we'll jump into our text today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much um, for Curtis, his leadership here, and uh, we just pray for he and his family, and uh, thank you for the time that they got to spend together, and just uh, pray in light of recent events, Father, that you would continue to give the most comfort you can give, and the comfort only you can give, and uh, we thank you that he is able to spend time with family, we pray for safe travels back home, and um, Lord, that you would allow them to lean back in and get settled back in when they arrive. Uh, Thank you for all this. Thank you for uh, this morning and the opportunity to preach your word. Pray that you would um, bless the preaching of your word. Preach a a better sermon than I've prepared. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, you and I are different. No shock to you, right? I didn't see any shocked faces. Gave a quick look, but when I said that, we're different. You and I don't look the same, uh, don't dress the same. We're not from the same place, uh, have different parents. We live in different settings, different homes. We're just different. If you and I had a conversation this morning, uh, maybe in the lobby on your way out, um, perhaps we could talk about some of those differences and kind of level. You like different sports teams than I do, enjoy different books, watch different movies. We're different people uh, across the board, right? We come from different backgrounds. We have different stories. We have different upbringings, different parents. We have different things that sort of mark our lives both positively and negatively. There's just a lot of differences. I don't have to spend a lot of time this morning convincing you of that fact. I didn't have a whole list of, you know, pages and pages in my manuscript of differences between us. I think that's widely accepted reality. What may not be as commonly accepted or as widely recognized is this commonality we have with one another. And this commonality we have not only with one another in this room, but with everyone we meet, encounter, or see that's not in this room, and that's this. The one thing that we all share in common is that we are all worshipers. We're all worshipers. No matter our background, no matter our different story, no matter what you like or I like, no matter the differences, we're all worshipers. And the question for us this morning and every day is not whether or not we worship. It's a given fact that we do. We praise, we show adoration to, lift up, and exalt what we enjoy and like and prize the most in life. We all are worshipers. There's something in your life and my life that reigns supreme. If we pressed each other on the question, had a real in-depth conversation about it, maybe we'd get to the bottom of that question and figure out what it is. It's on the throne of your heart, my heart, what it is that we, pra- that we praise and value, prize and value the most. We're all worshipers. We all worship something or someone. someone. The tension we have faced, the scriptures would tell us in the scriptural narrative since Genesis 3 and the fall, introduction of sin into our world, the question then is not whether or not we worship. We do. It's what we worship or who we worship. Sometimes the question becomes how we worship. But the commonality in this room, everywhere we walk, in our city, elsewhere, the commonality among all people is that we're worshipers. And the tension we face, the question we need to ask and answer today and every day, is what or who will we worship? What or who will we worship? From our text today, we'll find encouragement to lay down lesser things, 
to lay down lesser things for the sake of knowing, worshiping the one true God and making him known. We'll find encouragement in our text today to lay down lesser things in our lives for the sake of knowing and worshiping the one true God and making him known. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me. We'll be in the book of Acts today, in the New Testament, the first book after the Gospels. In the book of Acts, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one available to you underneath the seat in front of you. Feel free to use that one. If you don't own a Bible, we as a church would love to give one to you. And so on the table in the back, there's a sign that says free Bibles. You can feel free to pick up a Bible on your way out, and that's yours to keep. This morning, we'll be in the book of Acts. So as you're turning there, if you're new to reading the Bible, the larger numbers you'll find there are chapter numbers. The smaller numbers are verses. We'll be in Acts chapter 17. Acts 17. Acts chapter 17 will be in 16 through 34. 16 through 34. I want to set some of the context before I read our passage and kind of a lengthy passage. I'll read through it all for us. But some of the context here and where we pick up in this narrative, since it's kind of an offshoot sermon, not in our Matthew series, want to catch you up to speed on where we are in the book of Acts at this particular portion. But you have Paul, Silas, others who are moving throughout the world now after Jesus has come and he's taught, he's lived on earth, he's died and he's now resurrected. We see Paul and others go out with Jesus's message, the content of Jesus's message and spread the gospel, primarily through the planting of local churches throughout the known world at the time. And so if you were to pick up the book of Acts, this is the narrative that you're reading. Paul and others moving throughout the known world, planting churches, engaging different peoples and different cultures with the message of Jesus and his resurrection. So we find Paul and Silas, they've been in a town called Berea, and they've encountered conflict there, and it's become incumbent upon Paul to leave early from Berea and to move on into the city of Athens. So we're in Greece, and kind of contextually and on the map, so you know where we are. Paul is now moving on to Athens by himself for a period. And that's where our passage picks up today. So let me read aloud. You can follow along, and I'll read through our passage. Acts 17, 16 through 34. Now, while Paul was waiting for them, his friends, at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, Why do, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities, because he was preaching Jesus and his resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. 21, now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. 22, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man 
nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God, and perhaps feel their way toward him, and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and the imagination of man. Times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. 33, so Paul went out from their midst, but some joined him and believed, among whom were also Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. From our text today, we'll find the encouragement to lay down lesser things for the sake of knowing the one true God and making him known. And we'll look at the passage here in two parts. It's a lengthy passage, get that? A lot of verses included here. And so we'll break it up into two parts. First, we'll note Paul's assessment of the culture at Athens. So Paul's moving into a new city, new people there, and he's going to observe and assess the culture there, what it's like, what objects of worship are among them. So we know Paul's assessment of the culture in Athens. And second, we're going to note Paul's approach in sharing with the Athenian people the best news the world has ever known. And so what we'll see Paul doing here in Acts 17, and will be important for us as well, we'll see Paul assessing the Athenian culture, taking stock of what it is or who it is that they worship, and then we'll see his approach in sharing with the Athenian people the best news that the world has ever known. Throughout the passage here, New Testament scholar Patrick Schreiner notes that Paul employs a sort of doublespeak. He's saying one thing, and yet there's always, ever throughout this passage in Acts 17, a second meaning underlying what Paul is telling the Athenian people. And so we'll point some of that out along the way as Paul engages in this doublespeak. Paul models for us the curiosity and the eagerness that we're, we're to be demonstrating as followers of Christ. Curiosity about those around us, what they believe, who it is or what it is that they're worshiping, and the eagerness we should share and wanting to demonstrate and share with them the great hope that we found in Jesus Christ. Paul in Acts 17 uses a biblical worldview and we'll find that he uses scripture itself to critique the Athenian culture. Looks at the culture, sees what they're worshiping and he's going to critique the culture based on scripture. He's also going to confront their idols. Talk a little bit about this as Paul confronts the idols of the people in Athens. Kind of a touchy subject for you and I. No one wants to amble into a church like this on January 8, kind of rub the matter from their eyes, stretch a little bit, eat a muffin, and then be talked to about their idols, right? Not what we signed up for. And yet, what we'll find in Acts 17 is that Paul is going to confront Athenian idols. We'll talk about what that means for us as well. We'll see ultimately, too, that Paul seeks in his attempts to teach Christ and his resurrection that he centers his audience's attention on the, resurrection, on the resurrected Christ, that Jesus is front and center 
in Paul's message. That in Paul, coming into a new city, seeking to learn what people are about and what they worship and what they do, who they are, Paul is not going to employ a lot of gimmicks or games. He's got the gospel. He's got the gospel in tow. And this is his method, and this is his approach. So let's look at the passage together in two parts. Paul's assessment of the Athenian culture, Paul's approach in sharing with them the best news, and we'll find encouragement for ourselves to lay down lesser things in our own life, to prize God above all else, and to make him known. The passage says in 16 that Paul was waiting for his friends. Remember, the friends are going out planting churches all throughout the known world. This is how the gospel is spreading at the time. So Jesus Jesus has lived, he's died, he's now resurrected, and Paul, his friends, are carrying this message forward, and they're planting churches in the known world. Paul moves on to Athens by himself, and he's navigating, surveying the culture there. Verse 16 says that his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. What's meant by idols there is not kind of our conception of an American idol or something like this, but maybe a tangible monument, a statue erected as, 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 uh, as a tribute to a, to a known God at the time, to a philosophical concept of a God to which they would pay tribute and sacrifice, a monument, a statue, an idol. What Paul, in observing idols all around the city, knows is that these people, the Athenian people, are worshiping false gods. And this is where he's going to seek to insert the message of Jesus Christ. As he's observing false gods, these idols around the city, the Bible says that Paul's spirit was provoked within him. That's a kind of a, a flowery way of saying that Paul was offended, that he was angry. Perhaps use that in the next contentious conversation with your spouse or your best friend. Just say, hold on a minute. Just going to be honest. My spirit is provoked within me, right? And so my spirit is provoked within me. Paul is offended. Paul is angered by what he sees. And it's because of the message that is so central to his life that when he comes into a new context and sees worship, everyone is a worshiper, he sees worship being given to false gods, to false idols, he wants to do something about it. What Paul recognizes is the very truth that we've talked about this morning. He enters into this new city, people he doesn't know, and he recognizes what's true about all of us, that everyone's a worshiper, that everyone worships something. He sees the city full of idols. And so what's Paul's response? Tear down the idols, jump on top of them, cover them up, shout them down from the mountaintop. The scriptures say in 17 that he reasoned in the synagogue with the devout Jewish people there and in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there as well. So Paul enters into the city and sees that they're worshiping false gods. And his response is to go into the place, the religious center of the community, where religious and devout Jews are gathered. And he begins, the Bible says, to reason with them, communicating to us that a conversation is taking place. A calculated, thoughtful, thought-through conversation about what it is and who it is that they're actually worshiping as opposed to the one true God. Paul begins to reason with the most devout, the most religious, the people most wrapped up in this kind of religious tenor and religious thinking of their day. But not only that, Paul's approach isn't to come into the church building or the synagogue and only stop there. Paul goes out the front doors after reasoning with the Jews in the synagogue, and he finds himself among the common people in the marketplace, and he's doing the exact same thing. Paul's not doing one thing among religious people and around religious people that he's not doing around common folk. He's sharing the gospel with all, reasoning with them 
about what and who it is they worship as compared to his belief in the one true God. So we find Paul among the most religious and the most devout. We find him among the commoners. We also find one other audience that Paul gains by the content of his message. Read with me verse 18. So Paul's been in the synagogue. He's been in the marketplace and now 18. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him and said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was teaching Jesus and his resurrection. So not only has Paul gained an audience with the gospel among religious people and common people in the marketplace, Paul has also gained an audience with the philosophical elite. So Athens, Greece, kind of known in this day for its philosophical bent, and Paul now has an audience with the brightest thinkers in Athens. They're taking notice of his message. They're giving him a listening ear. And yet, listen to what they say about him. One asks, what does this babbler wish to say? Indicating Paul is not on par with them. Not as intellectually advanced, doesn't know all the contours of philosophical thought required to think through things deeply enough to truly understand what's going on. He's a babbler. He's just making stuff up off the fly. Doesn't know what he's talking about. What does he have to say? Others say he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities, indicating to us that they have a category for teaching that's outside of their own. But what we glean from these responses is that what Paul's teaching, what's indicated here as Jesus and his resurrection, the gospel message, seems foreign to the philosophers. And so what we have here is Paul putting his finger on the pulse of Athenian culture, seeking what it is that they know about God, what it is they know about worship and how to do it, what it is they know about the objects of their worship. And we see these two things intermingling. Paul's view of the one true God, the philosopher's view of the false gods and idols that fill the city. Since their response in wondering what Paul was actually talking about was not to shun him, put him out the door, tell him to be quiet. Instead, verse 19 says that they took him and they brought him into the Areopagus, this kind of central setting and central feature in the community where debates are held and conversations are had about the newest, brightest ideas of the day, the most advanced topics you could think of, these conversations happen in the Areopagus. These people hear the message of Jesus and they welcome Paul into an arena and give him a platform to teach his message because they're so curious. I want you to note here the response, the uncommon response to the gospel message. When you and I think about sharing the gospel, preaching and teaching the gospel, we always think maybe that's ostracized, marginalized in culture. I want you to note here in Acts 17 the uncommon response to what Paul's teaching. And all he's teaching is Jesus and his resurrection, and yet the invitation he has is to stand in the Areopagus and proclaim that message before the city's brightest thinkers. Verse 19 says that they took him and they brought him into the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. It ought not to be weird for us if the gospel were to go forth and it sounds strange to those who have never heard it. It's going to be a foreign message. It is a foreign message. The fact that people can hear our voices singing from this place on a Sunday morning before everyone else is practically awake is strange in our culture writ large. 